We're in Journey Through Genesis tonight. This is part 30. We're in Genesis 45, part 2, and Genesis 46. We covered a lot of ground last time, a lot of ground, and I basically shared the Joseph story, at least a good bit of it, and I, I'm not going to go back and go dig out all the details. We, I think we got the gist and got a lot of the good details out of there. But tonight we're in Genesis 45, part 2, Genesis 46, journey through Genesis, part 30. Let me say a prayer. We'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your goodness. Who are we, God, that you would look down on us and smile and favor us? Father, we don't take any of that for granted. We are so grateful and humbled by your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, finish the good work that you've started in each of us. We give you praise for that. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we covered so much uh, last go-around. We covered the end of chapter 37 all the way to chapter 45. And so tonight we're going to pick it up at the end of chapter 45, where Jacob began his move from Canaan, going back to Egypt. And so I want to start with verse number 16, and we'll go from 16 probably read down through 28. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives, bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, this had to be pretty humiliating. Joseph is still alive. He's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, And when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. This is powerful. If you remember the story of Joseph, if you were with us last time, we went through it. But Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers, and the brothers lied to the father and said that Joseph was dead. 
And for 13 years or so, Jacob had crawled up into a cave and was dead emotionally. And so this was very powerful for those brothers who had lied to their father, sold their brother to admit their guilt, to admit Joseph was alive. So here we see the sons of Israel, they, they received transportation, provision, garments, riches because of Joseph, who was their favored brother. Pharaoh blessed them because of Joseph. James Montgomery Boyce aptly puts it like this, to return to Canaan with carts from Egypt was the cultural equivalent of landing a jumbo jet among an isolated, primitive people group. It would be the stuff legends are made of. This is kind of funny to me. Joseph knew as soon as his brothers left, there was the possibility. I mean, these guys have been rascals. That they would freak out, get angry, get in a fight with each other, mess things up, mess up the plan that obviously God was putting together. So Joseph instructs them before they leave. He says, listen, don't get into trouble on the way. Good advice. Jacob had been told that Joseph was dead years before. And upon seeing the bloody coat of many colors, remember that, that they showed him, he believed it. Here he's told that Joseph is alive. He doesn't believe it, but then he hears the words of Joseph and sees the gifts and the favor that Joseph has bestowed upon them. And he believed that Joseph was alive, even though he had not seen him. So there's an analogy there. The only way people are going to know that Jesus, our favored brother, is alive is if we tell him, tell them with our words and show them with the blessings that he's put in our lives. Amen? When Jacob believed that his favored son was alive, back from the dead as it were, his testimony changed from, in Genesis 42, 36, he said this, all these things are against me. It was this hopelessness. It changed. That changed to, it is enough. My son is alive. It says his spirit was revived. In other words, he had an internal, personal revival. Joseph's darkest trial, which really ended up affecting his father in such a profound way, Jacob was was 13 years in the making. 13 years. Let let me just put it to you this way. You may have been in a season of darkness for a long time, troubled. Everything is coming against me. I just don't understand. I want to encourage you tonight. You just keep walking. You just keep believing. You just keep holding on because God will see you through. Psalm 23, we quote it a lot, but it's really a testimony of perseverance, pressing on, pushing through not backing down, not stopping. Notice it. The Lord 
is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. One translation says, the darkest valley. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness, your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's just constant progress. Good times, bad times, darkness, light. I just keep trucking along. I just keep following the shepherd because God knows how to see me through. God is with me even in the dark times. There's something to be said about making it through a storm. There's something to be said about coming through the flood. Can you relate? There's something to be said about coming through the fire. (coughs) Isaiah 43. I love this chapter. But Isaiah 43, the first two verses. But now thus says the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, And he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. In other words, progress. You just keep walking. The water's deep. You just keep walking. The fire's hot. You just keep walking. There's something about coming through. Just keep walking. Keep pressing through. So for 13 years, Jacob has been in his darkest valley. Now, it's interesting. The testimony of faith that we see. This revival. It's really Israel. You know, he was renamed. It's Israel that's breaking through, not Jacob. When Jacob was in charge, he was whining, complaining, griping, having a pity party. But Israel, that's the man God had called him to be. And he was walking into his destiny, which included going to Egypt. But check it out. He was finally walking the walk at 130 years old. Took him a while. So you just hold on, you know. You got time. Anybody 129 in the house? No. So everybody's probably a little bit younger than that. So okay. Well, we're good. We're good. Let's jump into this chapter 46. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Oh, yeah. Verses 1 through 4. So Israel took his journey. With all that he had. So notice, it says Israel, it's the man, the faith man. Israel took his journey with all that he had and he came to Beersheba. All right, so he's headed down to Egypt. Comes to Beersheba. He's only been on the road maybe 100 miles. And it says he offers sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions 
of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. In other words, you'll die there, but you'll be with your son. You'll close your eyes. Interestingly, Israel, this man of faith, takes off for Egypt, filled with joy and expectation. My son is alive. But standing at the edge of the Sahara Desert, at this border frontier town of Beersheba, with another 150 miles to go, and and then you have to consider his age, he's 130 years old, and, and it's a cart that he's riding in from Egypt, and I'm sure it's really, really fine, but I bet you there's no Michelin shocks on there or, you know. He's 130, and and he comes to the edge of the Sahara Desert. He's at kind of like the last stop, Beersheba, kind of getting to this point of no return. And he he had to be thinking, I don't know, man, you know, like probably ought to talk to the Lord about this. Now, this is interesting. It's been a while since he's talked to the Lord, at least in any significant way that would have made it noteworthy to be put in Scripture. Bethel, that Jacob's Ladder story, is 40 years in the past. And the last time we know that he and the Lord talked together was 25 years prior to this event. And so he's like, you know what? Before I make this radical change, I I probably ought to run it by the Lord. It looks as if God's leading the way, but... I need to talk to God. He's, so he stops, and he, he offers these sacrifices. For 13 years, I mentioned, since the death of Joseph, he had been in this emotional cave. So here, at the edge of the desert, I remember being in junior high, and we had this swimming pool at my junior high school, and we had swimming lessons. And they had a diving board, which I was used to, but... At my junior high, Green Acres Junior High, Bossier City, Louisiana, they had a high dive. And I remember the first time as a junior high kid, I got on the high dive. And it looks like so much fun. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. Then I climbed up the ladder, and I get, and I walked out to the edge, and I'm like, holy cow, that's a long ways down. And I got to the edge, and, you know, it was one of those moments, you know, it's do or die. It's that. It's that rite of passage, and all the other little kids are in the pool looking at you, you know. And So I jumped in. I made the jump. But it's like being on the edge of that. I've done zip lines. You get on that zip line. Like, it looks so much fun. You get up there, and, like, pushing off is like, I've been at s- snow skiing, you know, and you get up there, and you're like, I remember going to, a, a like, a triple black diamond slope, you know, where I'm like, I got this, you know, I got up there, and I was like, Whew, I'm going to go get back on the, the lift and go, I'm going to find me, where's that bunny slope? I think I'll take that. Just, it's, I got to the edge, like, he got to the edge. 
And he said, I better go talk to God. A desert can be very intimidating. I grew up in the swamp. I grew up in Louisiana. And I'll never forget when I was a kid, uh, my family, I'm an only child. My mom and dad and me, we all flew out to Las Vegas for something. My dad had a convention or something. So we all went to Las Vegas. Stayed at Caesar's Palace, man, like, there we are. My dad just decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rent a car and drive to Los Angeles, California. Now, we're all from Louisiana. My dad's from Arkansas. We're all from, I mean, we're from, I'm from Louisiana. Mom's from Oakdale. And so here we are in Las Vegas. My dad's going to drive this car from Las Vegas to Los Angeles through the Mojave Desert, okay? And I'll just never forget it just seems so weird, the landscape. It, it, there's no trees. It's, it's just like all sandy desert cactus, man. Like going from Nevada into Southern California, it, it, was, just, it was just bizarre to me. And, and, and there were hardly any places to stop. Now, when you did come across a place to stop, it was like a Bucky's, except it was a casino in the middle of the desert. I do remember that. But just that drive, it blew my mind. Later, we were traveling full time, and we ended up doing a, a stint in West Texas from the, the Panhandle on down to El Paso, out into New Mexico, and, and it looked like Mars to me. I'm just telling you, Red Dirt and Odessa and Guadalupe Pass, and, and uh, just it looked like Mars. We went into Juarez, Mexico, and Sunday, I mentioned preaching at a women's prison out in the middle of the desert down by Tijuana. Just bizarre. It, it, so it looks as if Jacob got cold feet in a hot place, right? He started backing up, and he was afraid. Verse 3 says he was afraid. The Lord said, you don't have to fear. He was afraid. Now, maybe it's because he remembered that his grandfather... Abraham had had some really bad experiences in Egypt. And he had heard the stories. Maybe he's remembering that. Also, he knew that God told Abraham that Abraham's descendants would be in Egypt for 400 years. And he had to be thinking, I'm a descendant of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Maybe this is the beginning of that. And he was afraid. Maybe it was because he remembered the Lord told specifically his father, Isaac, do not go down into Egypt. It was a specific command. Put all of that together. The point is, Jacob was dealing with fear. He was afraid. Fear can be a powerful motivator, right? You get afraid, man, you start praying, you know, like, oh, Lord, you know, you almost have a car wreck, Jesus, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, it's fear can be a powerful motivator. I heard a story of a guy, Dan, that was walking in the middle of the night through a cemetery, and they had prepared a grave for a funeral the next day. And this guy didn't see it, walked right up, right into it, fell into it. It was a deep grave. It wasn't Louisiana. It was a deep grave. And he's trying to get out of it. He's trying to crawl up, and he couldn't. He finally gets some grass, and as he started putting his weight on it, 
he'd pull the grass out and he'd fall right back down. It was no use. He realized there's no use. I can't get out of here. I might as well wait until daybreak to get out of this grave. Somebody will come along and they'll rescue me. So he just kind of hunkered down in a corner, just kind of sat there, biding his time. About an hour later, he heard a thud. Another guy had fallen into the same grave. And he just sat there, and the guy's doing the same thing. He's crawling, he's trying to get out, and he's getting a little piece of grass and falling right back down. Finally, the guy thought he'd help him out. He said, sir, listen, you're not going to get out of here. And at that, that guy jumped all the way out. (laughs) He got out of there. Because fear can be a powerful motivator, right? You're walking through the woods, you see a snake. You jump like you never thought you could jump. I've seen Valerie, you know, there's a roach or there's a a mouse. Of course not in our house. We're visiting somebody's place and a a rat or a mouse comes, you know, a a roach comes out because we would never have anything like that. And and Valerie, man, like gymnastics, right, just incredible acrobatics. Fear can be a very powerful motivator. So Jacob is afraid. And he seeks God, and he does so with offerings, with sacrifices. Now, this is interesting. I want to spend a few minutes here. This is fascinating. In the Levitical law that is going to be revealed 400 years later, there are different kinds of sacrifices. Our text says Jacob offered sacrifices or offerings. It's plural. Now, if you've ever sat in a Bible study or listened to my preaching very long, you've heard me talk about building altars and calling on the name of the Lord. It was something that was established in the Garden of Eden with those animals that the Lord killed, the shedding of blood, building an altar, calling on the name of the Lord. We see it with Adam and Eve. We see it with Cain and Abel, that shedding of the blood, calling on the name of the Lord, offering a sacrifice looking towards the future, looking for the seed of the woman, the Redeemer that would come and save man from the curse. And maybe this 400 years earlier with Jacob offering these offerings, these sacrifices, is a precursor. Building altars, calling on the name of the Lord, offering sacrifices, they all speak of this. And what Jacob's doing with this offerings and sacrifices, they all speak of this. Humbling oneself before the Lord. I can't do this by myself. I need you. It, it's speaking of a dependence on the Lord. A dependence on the Lord. The truth is these sacrifices in the Levitical law are mentioned later. So could it be that they're being alluded to prior to the giving of that Levitical law. For instance, they're mentioned in the New Testament, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, your reasonable service. Be not conformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hebrews 13, 15, offering the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto God. This, this offering, 2 Timothy 4, 6, Paul said, I'm... I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. This idea of these offerings and sacrifices, we see it in the New Testament. So could it have been alluded to prior to the giving of the Levitical law? So I want to take 
Just a brief look at some of the sacrifices, uh, mainly five in the book of Leviticus. Number one, and we're not going to turn there, but I'll just give you some headlines. Number one, the sin offering. The sin offering was made unto God to atone for sin. Because with sin in my life, I can't be one with God. If the sin debt is not paid, atoned for, then I can't have that at-one-ment, that fellowship with the Lord. The sin offering, the offering made to atone for sin. The burnt offering is the second one. This offering was made as an act of consecration and dedication. We used to sing that song back in the day, I surrender all, I surrender all. It's that kind of thing. Here I am, Lord, everything I have, I give myself to you, everything I am, God, use me for your glory. That burnt offering, that's a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. Do you know that? When you surrender self and flesh is burned up, so to speak. It's a sacrifice. I counsel people all the time, and people deal with matters of conscience, things that they can be involved in or choose not to be involved in. And I always counsel them, where's your peace? What's the word say, first of all? Where's your peace? What's your conscience saying? How's the Holy Spirit guiding you in this area? And it is so vital that no matter what our flesh wants, we yield and submit that flesh to the will of God. And that's a burnt offering. That singes the flesh. That burns, man, like I don't want it. I don't want to do, but not my will, but thine be done. That prayer of consecration, man, like the burnt offering. The peace offering, this represents fellowship. Sweet communion with the Lord. Here's another song we used to sing back in the day. And he walks with me and he talks with me. Y'all know that, huh? Oh, it's just beautiful. But that 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 just sweet communion, there's nothing like, you know, like once you've come to the Lord and you've, you know, you've accepted that incredible sacrifice that he's made. Your sins have been washed away. You've been filled with His Spirit. Once you've got that, and then you bow the knee and say, God, I thank you for saving me. Oh, God, forgive me for the problems I'm struggling with. God, here's my life. I'm going to take my career choices and put them in your hands. I'm going to take my relationship choices and put it in your hands. I'm going to take my financial decisions and put it in your hands. And you start burning that flesh, man, and surrendering self to the Lord. Then you rise from that, and you have a such an incredible communion. Do you know what I'm saying? It goes really deep. It's not shallow surface. It's not Hollywood. It's not like, you know, nothing against, but like not, not like TV preacher land and, and, and just shallow church. It's just deep fellowship communion. It's, it's milk, uh, it's meat, not milk. You know what I mean? It's, it's powerful and strong, but it, that, that comes from surrender. So, so you've, got, you've got these 
offering, sin offering, burnt offering, peace offering. It was also a meal offering. The, the King James calls it a meat offering, but there was no meat in it. It's, it was uh, grains and stuff and a trespass offering. So I'm just saying he's afraid and he begins to offer up these sacrifices. He was reaching out to God. So let me just say this. Anytime you're afraid, fear is coming in, creeping in in your life, in your world. Do like Jacob. Just have a little pause. Begin to offer up some sacrifices to the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Before I take another step forward, I just want to make sure, God, you and I, we're on the same page. Father, I'm just, I thank you for your goodness. Forgive me for anything I've done wrong. Lord, I thank you that you have put your thoughts, you put your ways on the inside of me. God, we used to not be in agreement, but Father, I humble myself. I surrender myself. Let the wicked man, you said, forsake his ways and his thoughts and return under me. And Father, here I am, God. I want to line up with you. Just begin to call on the name of the Lord. And it's just incredible. I love this. God responds, and th this is incredible. Look, look at verse 2. Then God said to Israel in the visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. He said, here I am. I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down there. I'm going to do a great thing there. I'll go down with you. And I'll also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Notice, God did not say, I am done with you, boy. It's been 130 flipping years. You still doubt me. You walk in fear. Sick of it? No. God answers him, giving him dreams, visions in the night. And, and he calls him that old familiar name, Jacob, Jacob. I, the way I see it, it's, he's like a father with a slight grin. I don't know, Ron, Jake, maybe you can relate. It's like a father with a slight grin, kind of shaking his head, saying, Jake. Oh, Jake, uh, you've grown up, you've changed, but oh, you're still the same, Jake. Oh, just, just that shaking of the head. He says, Jacob, Jacob. How about them apples, huh? Jacob, Jacob. Oh, my goodness. I, you, I remember you. You hadn't changed a lick. Even though you have, you hadn't changed. Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob says, I love this too. He says, yeah, that's, that's me. Here I am. And God said to him, I am God. I'm the God of your father. Don't fear to go down to Egypt. I'm going to fulfill my word in you down there. And I am going with you. I love that. That is so powerful. I will go with you. Many years later, Exodus 33, 15, when Moses has this encounter with God, God says, Moses, listen, son, you're going to take those people out of Egypt and you're going to take them into the promises that I have for them. And I'm going to send my angel to go with you. And Moses says, Thank you, Lord, but that's not good enough. Thanks, but no thanks. 
here's the deal. You want me to do this job. I'm not going if your presence doesn't go with me. I'm happy for the angel, but I don't want just the angel. The angel's welcome, but if you ain't going, I ain't going. I want you to go with me. There's something significant, significant about the presence of the Lord walking with you on your journey. 500 years before this encounter with God and Moses, God's reassuring the namesake of the nation of Israel, I'm going with you into Egypt. He's telling Moses, I'm going with you out of Egypt, but he's telling Israel, I'm going with you into Egypt. There's something about going into the unknown with someone who is equipped and able to handle anything that comes your way. You're not alone. I'm not alone in this great adventure. Can I say something to somebody tonight? You may be on a great adventure, but you're not alone in this. He's with you. He's got a plan. He's going to work that plan. He's going with you. Ask Him to cover you. Ask Him to bless you. Ask Him for His favor. And consecrate yourself before Him. Tell Him, Lord, here I am. I want everything that you have for me, and I'm going to give you everything that I have. And I want to fellowship with you, but I'm not going by myself. Amen? I love that. We're not on this Christian journey by ourselves. We got our brothers and sisters. Hey, and we got the angels of the Lord with us. They encamp round about us who fear his name. Angels are everywhere. They walk with us. They do incredible things. But, hey, they can't replace the Lord. You know, John in Revelation falls down before an angel in worship. John. Angels are powerful. They're amazing. John sees one and freaks out. John, who'd walked with Jesus all that time, he's a 90-year-old man at the time. He's, like I say, he's a Jedi in the force at the time. The Apostle John. And, and he falls before an angel, worships him. And the irony of it is John wrote the story. Like I would have edited that on my own. I was like, that's embarrassing. I'm not going to write that down, but, but the Lord said, no, you put that in there too. And John's like, you know, he's blushing like, oh, man. Right, says, I fell down. Because the angel rebuked us like, hey, what are you doing? Get up. I'm a, we're fellow servants. We're fellow servants. So we have angels that, that are with us, but ain't nothing like the one. The Bible said that the, the elders dropped to their knees when the lamb walked in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the... Who is worthy? And in walks the lamb. And oh, everybody, crowns go flying off people's heads like worthy. Worthy is the lamb. And, and the lamb wasn't saying, get up, I'm a fellow servant like you. No, he just received that worship and that praise. Now, verses 5 through 25, I want you to say thank you. Say it, say thank you. We're not going to read 5 through 25. It's filled with crazy names and all kind of stuff. We're not going to read those. But I do want to go to verses 26 and 27. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body besides Jacob's sons' wives were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So Jacob submits to the plan of God, and he brought the entire 
family down to Egypt. I love that. No one was left behind. This salvation thing, it's a family affair. I'm going to tell you, as sure as I'm standing here, God moves in families. And we still have a free will. We still have a choice. We can choose to live for God, choose not to live for God. But I'm just going to tell you something. God moves in families. I've seen it over and over and over again. The Lord starts moving on a wife. It's going to touch the husband. The Lord starts moving on a parent. It's going to start moving in the kids. It's the Lord just moves in families. And Jacob left no one behind. You've heard no child left behind. Nobody was left behind. Everybody. He gets the entire family to go with him. No one left behind. And he brought all their stuff, all their animals. He brought everything. Now, the total number of males of the clan was 70. There were 66 plus Jacob himself and Joseph and Joseph's two sons. And over the next 400 years, this family would become a nation of over 600,000 males, probably in the neighborhood of 2 million, counting women and children. Well, there you go. Now, as a church planter, this gives me great comfort. Well, kind of. Like many great works of God, Israel had a slow beginning. Guzik puts it like this. I love it. From the time God called Abraham, it took at least 25 years to add one, Isaac. So, as a church planner, I look at it like this. Abraham, go start a church. 25 years later, he gets one person. There they are. Praise the Lord. Then it took Isaac 60 years to add another son, Jacob. Slow, man. It took 50 or 60 years for Jacob to add 12 sons and one daughter. But in 430 years, Israel would leave Egypt with 2 million. It took this family 215 years to grow from 1 to 70. That's where I'm saying I feel good as a church planner, you know, like we're beating them. You know, like we try to beat the Baptists to Golden Corral. We're beating, we're beating that family. Took them 215 years to get to 70. But in another 430 years, they grew to 2 million. So the idea is this, just be patient. Just be patient. God will get you where you need to be at the right time. You just walk with him. I got to think about old Jacob, man, just, just 13 years of suffering and then finally getting a breakthrough. Uh, interesting note, Acts seven fourteen. If you guys study and run your references and stuff like that, you may see where Stephen says there were 75 who went into Egypt. He's quoting a Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures called the Septuagint. And it says that number, but it's it's not necessarily wrong. It's just arriving at a different, num- uh, different number by ways of looking at other scriptures, adding five more sons or grandsons of Joseph who were in Egypt. So let's look at verses 28 through 30. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph, 
to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him. So they've made it all that came through the desert on a horse with no name, right? And here they come, presented himself to him. It says, and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Can you just imagine the emotion of this moment? And can you imagine the humiliation of those ignorant brothers standing around watching this reunion and thinking, oh, caused so much pain. Verses 31 through 34, then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for their occupation has been to feed livestock and They have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So let's just back this up and close it out here. Joseph does some job coaching. He says, okay, you're about to have an audience with the big guy. And he said, here's the way you're going to do it. You're going to tell him the truth. You guys are shepherds. But here's the underlying reason. Because most of Egypt populated the southeast on the Nile, the southeastern side. And they kind of left the northwest open, which was in the Nile Delta. Fertile land, amazing pasture land. But because shepherds and herdsmen were kind of an abomination, like they were looked at as the low, 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 like we don't do that. I don't know if they worship cows. I mean, they seem to on their hieroglyphics, like adore them. But like whatever, uh, that land was wide open. He said, just tell them the truth. We're all shepherds and stuff like that have been for for years. Because if you do so, he's going to give you that land. He's already mentioned it to him. He's going to give you Goshen, which is prime real estate. It, it's, it's like 73 and I-10 right here, man, $10 million for 10 acres. Like It's just prime real estate, because I've checked it out. It's prime real estate, okay? It is prime real estate. And it coaches them up, and what happens is they end up getting the land of Goshen, the best land, and, and some scholars say that there was a dynasty that was known as the Egyptian Hyksos, the, the Hyksos dynasty, which means shepherd kings. So they were pharaohs who were pro-shepherd. So we don't know exactly if this was the pro-shepherd uh, dynasty or not. There's some speculation along that controversy, whatever. But however it goes down, it says they were an abomination, shepherds were, but through Joseph's knowing what to do, having the wisdom to deal with Pharaoh. They got prime real estate. And as I've said before, their time in Egypt 
was not all bad. This was a blessing. This was an incredible blessing. We're going to see at the end of Genesis, that beginning of Exodus, which we're not going into Exodus after this. We're going to what book? Revelations next. But in the first part of Exodus, it says there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And that's when the persecution came. That's fear came in, crept in, the servitude crept in. But this was an incredibly blessed time, and it was all part of God's plan. God told Abraham this all those years before. Your people, you're leaving Ur. You're going into Canaan, but you're going to go into Egypt for 400 years. But when you come out, you're coming out strong. This was all part of that plan. I just want to remind you once again, God's in control. God knows right where you are. God knows exactly what you're dealing with. You just follow him. You be as faithful as you can. You offer up sacrifices. You bless the name of the Lord. You call on the name of the Lord. You go to church when you feel like it. You go to church when you don't feel like it. You love the Lord when you feel like it. You love the Lord when you don't feel like it. Get yourself lined up with his plans and purposes. And God will do the the dreams that he put in your heart will come to pass. They'll come to every single one of them. Because my God is faithful. Stand with me right now. You believe that? I want to declare to you today, my God is faithful. I've let him down many times. He ain't never let me down, not one time. I mean, when I thought he did, years later I found out he really didn't let me down. He was protecting me. It was a blessing in disguise. You ever got any of those? It was a blessing in disguise. My God is faithful. And here's old Jacob, 130 years old, riding on Egypt's finest cart. Sees a son he thought was dead. Lives another 17 years or so in Egypt. Blessed. Most favored status. Probably had those guys, you know, those little Egyptian skirts and whatnot, toting them around on a chair on their shoulder, you know, like, that's Joseph's father. He doesn't like that rickety cart. Send the manservant. You know, send the manservants. Here they go. He's riding around saying, my, my son's alive. My family's all here. And boy, 70, 190, 425, 1110, 110,000 600,071 a million two two million and then here comes old Moses we going home one day the sky's going to bust open and this pilgrimage that we've been on this temporary stay here on this planet as it is it's going to end and we're going home because this world is not my home right my God will be faithful can you lift your hands to him right now Father thank you so much hallelujah